Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. I have this sort of instinctive thing where I categorize stuff as right or wrong, good or bad, kind of a real black and white way of thinking. Do other people do that? Books or movies or shows, you either like it or you don't. It interests you or it doesn't. Some of these things are trickier than others to put in one box or the other. Ethical questions can be tricky for someone who is a black and white thinker. It's something I continue to work on, the trickier ones. You know, to take a step back and look at a thing in a different way, hear other points of view so I can make a choice that's based on a wider perspective. But there are some things that are easy, or they should be. Now, last week, September 30th, was the first ever National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. This was number 80 on the list of 94 calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It reads like this, number 80. We call upon the federal government, in collaboration with Aboriginal peoples, to establish as a statutory holiday a National Day for Truth and Reconciliation to honor survivors, their families, and communities, and ensure that public commemoration of the history and legacy of residential schools remains a vital component of the reconciliation process. So as I said, last week on September 30th was the first of these days. Now, how this fits into my statement about black and white, right and wrong, is that I think it should have been pretty freaking obvious that the right thing for the prime minister to do on that day, the first ever National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, would not be to treat it like a vacation and take his family to Tofino. Hey, Tofino's a fabulous place. Uh, on the west coast of Vancouver Island, home to an amazing surfing community, as well as a cool place for storm watching. You should totally go there. There's a large indigenous population there, too. So when I heard that's where he was going, I thought, cool, great place to meet with First Nations people and hear their stories. But no, he took his family there for a vacation. Remember back at the beginning of June when I talked about the 215 unmarked graves? located by ground-penetrating radar at the Kamloops Residential School, that very First Nation invited the Prime Minister to attend their ceremony on September 30th. Not once, but twice they invited him. And he didn't go. Apparently, he spent the day before on the phone speaking to several, like, I don't know, eight residential school survivors hearing their stories. And that's great. But it's not good enough. To me, it's pretty frickin' obvious that on the very first ever National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, the fucking prime fucking minister should not be on fucking vacation. He should be immersing himself in the event he and his government claim to espouse. And because the recent outpouring of grief that inspired such an enormous response across the country began with the Tekemloops Tsukwetm First Nation, and they invited him to attend their ceremony, that is where he should have been. This is a no-brainer. And of course he has now apologized, and that pisses me off because I'm so sick of people doing something shitty and then apologizing instead of just doing the right thing first. 
I had a teacher in high school who, if a student was late or uh, made some other mistake and said, sorry, this teacher would say, don't be sorry, just don't do it. And And at the time I thought, what an assaholic thing to say. But as I grew older, I learned what he meant. Like Remembrance Day, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is not a vacation day. It's a day for listening, for learning, for reflection, with a goal toward change. Justin Trudeau, don't be sorry. Just don't do it. You may recall, last week... Griffin's apartment was broken into, and the cops, Hendricks and Walker, were not exactly supportive. She also prepped for the big day, her trip to Victoria, and is sure everything will work out perfectly. Griffin and the Spurious Correlations by Krista Wallace. Chapter 17, May 19th, The Big Day. I got up on Saturday morning with lots of energy and hustled in my preparations, determined that everything was going to go smoothly. I mean, why shouldn't it? I had four lessons to teach before coming home to grab my things and leave for Teresa's wedding. I took the quick bus trip to the mall to pick up the car I'd reserved and drove to the music store, telling myself over and over that I just needed to take the day one step at a time. Unbidden, my fingers drummed on the steering wheel in time to I'm so excited on the radio, as if that would keep me calm. When I got to the store, Brian informed me that my 11 o'clock had cancelled because she was sick, buying me an extra half hour in my stressful day. How perfect was that? Then, to my joy, believe it or not, the lessons went as I might have expected before all the nuttiness began, unless you count all three students playing way above the level they'd been at the week before. But I decided not to overthink it. Obviously, they were learning from me. That's what I told myself. Melissa didn't barf, and Marcus had actually learned the three chords I had taught him. I began to think my suspicions about being somehow set up had been paranoid imaginings resulting from a stressful week. I raced out at eleven and drove home as speedily as I could get away with. I would grab my backpack and be off again. The local paper had been shoved through the mail slot and the flyers were scattered all over the floor. I gathered them up and underneath the papers I found a letter. It was in a business envelope labeled with the logo of my apartment's management company and had been hand-delivered, which explained its arriving on a Saturday. I sliced it open with a letter opener and shrieked. It wasn't a letter opener in my hand. I didn't even own a letter opener. I had subconsciously reached into my back pocket and pulled out the knife. The knife, which had not been in my pocket while I was at work because that was where I had tucked my cell phone during lessons. As bugs crawled up my back, I set it on the table where I could keep an eye on it. I unfolded the letter. It was on management letterhead. Ms. Trowbridge, please be advised that rent is due on the first of each month. You are presently in arrears in the amount of $675. Please submit payment immediately. Failure to do so will result in management having to take further steps. At the bottom was a handwritten note from Mrs. Kingsley. Goodness, dear, this has never happened before. I hope you can pay soon. You've always been such a good tenant. What the hell? My rent had been set up for auto withdrawal for three years. Besides, why was this only being brought to my attention on the 19th of the month? 
I had to go, but I had an extra half hour, and this shouldn't take long. I picked up the phone. Hi, Mrs. Kingsley, it's Griffin. Who? Griffin Trowbridge, in 217. I just got this letter about my rent, and I don't understand why my payment didn't go... Now see here, I don't know who you are or why you keep phoning this number. I'll bet you're one of those elder abuse jerks who try to get trusting, unsuspecting people to send them money. I'm calling the police as soon as I hang up. The phone banged down, making my ear ring. The line disconnected. Imagining pastoral and tranquil lake scenes, I sat at my computer and tried to get into my online banking. I failed. Why is it the system is down right when you really, really need it to not be down? This was an unforeseen obstacle, but I wouldn't have a good time today if I didn't deal with it right away. Given my extra half hour, I could spare a little bit of time and go to the bank on my way to the harbor airport. I changed into the pants and blouse I would wear to the wedding. There was something in my pants pocket. That goddamned knife! With a loud exhale that would make any yoga instructor proud, I pitched the thing out a window and slammed it shut. I added toothbrush and toothpaste to my backpack. I fumbled through retying my shoelaces. Pain forming between my eyes, I jammed my arms into the sleeves of my jacket and gathered up my stuff, including my guitar and my travel mug of coffee. Slamming the door behind me, I locked it and ran down the hall and down the stairs. I had just been paid from the music store, so it would be a piece of cake. I'd dash to the bank, get cash, take it to Mrs. Kingsley, get a receipt, oh, and find out why the auto withdrawal didn't work all of a sudden. Honestly, you pay all these damn bank fees and don't get the services you've paid for. Someone at the bank was going to get an earful. I joined the queue at the bank machine. One machine was out of order, leaving two machines in use. The person at the machine on the left finished up and walked off, so the next woman stepped up, opening her handbag. The customer at the other machine left, and the dad in front of me moved in, holding his child by the hand. I watched the lineup inside the bank. There were about fifteen people in the queue, and only two tellers. I was still happy with my choice to remain out here. Then I noticed that handbag lady had a list of about 27 transactions to make. She was pushing buttons like a spaceship pilot, and the damn machine was beeping away as if it were communicating in Morse code. The dad, on the other hand, was explaining every little step to his kid as if it was going to be the kid's job to do the banking for the family from now on. And now, you see here, I have three accounts accessible on this card. One is the checking account, which we use regularly for most of our spending. The second is the savings account. This is where we put money and don't touch it because we want it to earn interest. What's interest? the kid asked. Dad explained while I looked at the time and tapped my fingers inside my pockets. The queue inside the bank hadn't moved. And the third account is the... Excuse me, I said politely. I'm in a bit of a hurry, so I wonder if you'd mind um, going a little faster today? The man huffed at me. This, young lady, is called a teaching moment. I am teaching my child how things work at the bank. I'm doing this because I believe it's important for children to be curious, to ask questions, and receive honest, detailed answers. That's how they learn about life. Yes, well, be sure to teach him all about the phases of the moon, too, because we're going to go through all of them in the time I'm waiting here. The man's face went red, and his kid's eyes flitted back and forth between his dad and me. I'm done here, said Space Woman, and left the other machine. I said thanks and glared at the man as I stepped in. 
Never mind, he muttered at the kid. Some people are just like that, which is another thing you need to learn about life. I thrust my card in, and the thing beeped as I followed the instructions. I keyed in my pin and then asked it to give me $680. I waited, tapping my fingers on the machine as it thought. The dad was now explaining the concept of a line of credit. A bell sounded and lights flashed all around my machine. A loud computer voice yelled, Insufficient funds! Insufficient funds! What? I yelled back. I just got paid! It spat my card out so it flew across the room and hit the window. I scrambled to pick it up. Irresponsible, muttered the dad to his kid. This is why I'm teaching you these things, so you can manage your funds more effectively than she does. I stormed into the bank, where the queue had shortened by a couple of people, but one teller put up her closed sign. I am so changing banks! I had already used twenty minutes of my extra half hour. I finally got my turn. The bank machine said insufficient funds, but I know there should be over a thousand dollars in the account. The teller took my card, clicked away on her computer, and frowned. Uh-oh. Is it a new account? I've had it for fifteen years. Is that considered new? Hmm. She asked my name. I told her. A lump formed in my chest. A tight, trembly feeling crept up the backs of my knees. She clicked. Is this your home branch? Yes. I'm sorry, we have no record of an account in your name. She looked at me as if to say, I'm done with you. Next, please. I picked up my card, summarily dismissed, and floated out of the bank in a haze. There was no point any more in trying to deal with this problem right now. I had to leave for the airport. It would have to wait until Monday. Nearly crying with anger at myself for not having made that decision half an hour ago, I pulled into the traffic and got stuck at a red light. The song on the radio was Money, of course, and I tapped out the rhythm onto the steering wheel. I couldn't bear the thought of asking my mom if I could borrow almost $700 to pay my rent until I could get this bank stuff sorted out. Maybe my dad... No, I had worked so hard to show my folks I could be independent, that I could be a musician and still make out fine, even if it meant working some other jobs on the side. If I asked them for money, even though this was a particularly unusual and rare circumstance, I'd still be given the pursed-lip-raised eyebrow look that triumphantly screamed, I've been counting the days for this moment. Boy, this had to be the longest light in the world. I'd been sitting there so long the radio was playing the tail end of a different song. Was this the same red light, or had I sat through an entire sequence? No, oh, there was no way I could have sat through an entire green light with nobody honking at me. On the contrary, my dad had always defined a split second as the length of time between the light turning green and the person behind you honking. Well, if there was a problem with the light, I could afford to waste no more time. I put my blinker on and shoulder-checked to pull into the right-hand turn lane. No problem. I'd go a different route home. The lane was clear, so I pulled in and drove ahead toward the stop line. Slam! A car from out of nowhere hit me from behind. I sat in my car, hands gripping the wheel, eyes shut, tears squeezing past my lids. I breathed. I took stock of the situation. I had coffee all over me, thanks to the lid being shunted off my travel mug. Was I hurt? I didn't think so. The impact had startled me, but I didn't seem to be in any pain. 
Just to be sure, I carefully tilted my head from side to side. Still, I knew right away I had to change the plan. Okay, I could deal with that. I'll phone and change to the 2.30 flight, that's all. It'll be close, but I'll make it. That would give me time to go home and change my clothes. Having made that decision, I was able to breathe more freely. I opened my eyes and looked in the rearview mirror at the car that had hit me. Not a car, an enormous truck like a Suburban or something. Tinted windows. Were those legal? I reached over to the glove box and pulled out a notepad and pen. I got out of the car. Funny how the light was green now and all the traffic was moving. Thanks, folks. I sure hope I don't need a witness. Thanks for stopping to make sure everyone's all right. Nobody had emerged from the truck. The back of my co-op car was in bad shape. It had lovely all-new wrinkled convex contours with a beautiful cobweb for a rear windshield. Presently, the car had a Suburban for a prosthetic. I'd have jotted down the license plate number, but it was obscured by my car. That the driver hadn't emerged was alarming. I moved around to the door, and though I felt kind of silly, I, um, knocked. No answer. Holy shit, are they dead? I tried the door, which was unlocked, and I flung it open. What the? The driver was leaning over, and he and his girlfriend were slobbering all over each other as if it were midnight at the drive-in. You're kidding me, right? The guy came up for air long enough to say, Shut the damn door! Can't you see what we're doing here? Can't you see you just rear-ended me? My car is probably totaled and you're back here making out? Shut the damn door, slurp, slurp. There was nothing in the driver's manual about how to behave when you were in a car accident with some people who pretended it hadn't happened. I blinked and shut the door. There were literally no other cars around. I went to the rear of the truck and took down the plate number and the make and model of the vehicle. There wasn't much more I could do without the cooperation of the other driver. I would file a claim and let the insurance corporation deal with them. I'd have to call the car co-op and explain as best I could. One thing I could not do was stay here and not get moving. For a split second, I considered phoning my mother to ask if I could borrow her car, but what would be the point? She'd have a whole bunch of I told you so type remarks, followed by the if you got a real job, you could have your own car to total themed speech. I rolled my eyes and got back behind the wheel. Bloody hell, could this day get any worse? I turned over the engine and with a little metallic crunch detached my back end from the front end of the Suburban. With teeth clenched to hold back a scream of frustration, I drove home with the same meticulous care as someone taking her driver's test. Before even going inside, I called the airline to change my booking to the later flight. I explained to the woman on the phone that I had had some setbacks, including being rear-ended. "'Don't you worry about a thing. Just get here safely, okay?' I wanted to tell her not to be nice to me or I would cry, but instead I thanked her and went in. I didn't have to race out the door now that I was taking the later flight. I didn't have a ton of time, but I could at least make myself a sandwich. I peeled off my coffee-drenched outfit and threw on a bathrobe so I could eat some lunch without danger of spilling on myself. Prudent. When you get to be my age, you think of these things. All right, I said to myself as I licked peanut butter off my thumb. All right. I could handle this. After all, what was the most important thing? My best friend needed me to sing with him at his sister's wedding in the afternoon, and his happiness was more important than all these setbacks. 
I finished eating, picked a new outfit, put it on, brushed my teeth. Time to get rolling. The phone rang. Don't answer it, advised the voice in my head. I picked it up. Hello? Bad idea, the voice said, and I knew it was shaking its head. Griffin, it's Phoenix. How soon can you be here? What do you mean? I'm going to my friend's wedding in Victoria this afternoon. Remember, I was supposed to be on a plane already. What? I heard a shriek and pulled the phone away from my ear. Griffin, Griffin, are you there? Yes, I'm here, but I'm heading out the door. Good, you're on your way? I spoke pointedly. To my friend's wedding, yes. No, you gotta come here. There's been a change. The gig is tonight. Told you, said the voice. I told it to shut the hell up. What did you say? said Phoenix. Nothing. Look, what do you mean the gig is tonight? I confirmed with Rickenbacker that the gig is tomorrow. I told everybody at the very beginning that I was going to Victoria today for my friend's wedding. You can't change the gig to tonight. Too late? The client wanted to change it, so we changed it. Without making sure the band was available? That's insane. The client doesn't... The band is available, Griffin. You signed a contract. I did? No, I didn't. I didn't think I had. I wasn't sure about anything these days. The confidence with which I had told him to get a new guitarist two days ago had deserted me. Phoenix said, You will be there. You start at nine. He rang off, and I stared at the phone, sweating and shaking. If I hadn't known better, I'd have thought I was coming down with the flu. You, you jerk, asshat! I slammed the phone down, aware of an army of ninja spiders stealthily floating along my bloodstream, creeping up on me for the ultimate attack. If they reached my heart, it would stop, and I'd keel over, dead. Except it wasn't ninja spiders, it was panic. The only thing I could think of to do was to run. I dropped my backpack from my shoulder to the floor and ran to the bedroom to grab my short black skirt and the low-cut top I had planned to wear for the gig. I shoved them into the pack next to the book I was going to read on the plane. My sweat was a reminder to run to the bathroom and add the deodorant to the pack. I could play the wedding, then ask about a return flight this evening. Salamanders wasn't far from the harbor where the plane would land. I was disappointed not to be able to enjoy the time and stay overnight as I'd... Wait a minute. I wasn't disappointed. I was enraged. That was more like it. I grabbed both guitars and threw everything in the back seat of the wrecked car and gunned it out of the parking lot. When I saw the flashing lights cruise up behind me, I thought, of course. I didn't hesitate to pull over. It seemed quite normal that I should be stopped by the cops at this time. I had not been speeding, so who knew what they wanted? But shit like this had become synonymous with my life. My back was rigid like concrete, and my face was taut with the effort of holding back the threatening tears. The pain between my eyes had spread to the top of my head. License and registration? I handed it to him with a vibrating hand. It's a co-op car. Seems you've had a bit of an accident. Yes, I was rear-ended earlier today. I have an appointment with an adjuster on Monday, I lied. Your tail lights are both out, no doubt as a result of the accident. You shouldn't be driving this car. No, no, no. I was reaching my limit. I wanted, no, desperately needed to scream my head off, but it would have landed me in jail. I have to get to the airport. I'm going to my friend's wedding in Victoria, and I've had a bit of a bad day. 
To make a long story short, he gave me a fine and told me to hurry up and get the car off the road. I promised I'd park it at the Harbor to Harbor Terminal and take a cab later. Sigh. By the time I got into the terminal after parking the damn car and paying the twenty-seven seventy-five on my credit card, I had just fifteen minutes before my flight. I ran full tilt with my backpack and guitars to the entrance to the little building that was the Harbor to Harbor Terminal and joined the bloody queue to go through security. I reached into my jacket pocket to see if I had a peppermint or something. I was tense. Anything to help me calm down. I didn't find a peppermint. I found something else. Shit! Fuck! Crap! What the hell? The leather sheath containing the knife, which I had thrown out the window, was in my pocket. I would never in this lifetime get through airport security with a knife in my pocket. I yanked it out, and without even glancing around to see who might see, I flung it onto the floor where it slid on the shiny surface and hit the wall. Phew, dodged that bullet. I took a few steps forward and set my stuff down again. I was now third in line. I reached into my pocket to pull out my boarding pass. I shrieked, drawing all kinds of attention. The knife was in my pocket. I whirled around and looked toward where it had slid across the floor. It was gone. Oh no, oh no, oh no! There were those ninja spiders again. I was never going to make it through security. Sweat gushed down my body like a garden water feature. My shaking could rival those machines that mix cans of paint. I was looking around furtively. Basically, I was displaying every single sign of being a person of suspicion. There was no chance in hell any security officer wouldn't believe I was up to something. They would take me into another room. They would strip search me. They would do a complete search of every orifice and cavity, likely orifices and cavities I didn't even know I had. And suddenly it was my turn. I showed the officer my ticket and boarding pass. Off to Victoria, are you? Aren't you a little late? Flight leaves soon. Yes, I've had a bad day. You'll make it if you hustle. They're boarding now. I couldn't believe my ears. Words of support and encouragement? A lump formed in my throat. No, do not cry. I put my backpack in the bin, followed by my boots. Remove your jacket, please. Sure, sure, I could remove my jacket. Could I also pretend it belonged to someone else? Another officer opened my guitar cases. You seem nervous. I'm... I have a fear of flying. I wanted to laugh out loud. They'd never buy it. Why are you flying, then? I'm going to my friend's wedding in Victoria, and I didn't have time today to go by ferry. She smiled at me. Kindly, if you can believe it. What a good friend you are, flying there when you have such a fear. Yeah, she'd believe me until my jacket went through the x-ray machine. The machine beeped. Of course it did. My jacket came out the other side. Please remove the items from your pockets. Here it came. My hands were trembling so I could hardly function. Fingers grasping the leather sheath, I shut my eyes and pulled it out. I held it up, hopefully in a non-threatening manner, so they wouldn't attack me and fling me to the floor. Open it, please. I opened it and slid out the... The spoons? What are those, ma'am? I tried to speak, couldn't, swallowed over a dryness that was akin to sandpaper. They, they're spoons, it seems. Spoons? Spoons. Uh, ma'am, may I ask why you have spoons in a leather pouch?
My mind hurtled through a card index of brilliant responses. The ninja spiders had picked up speed. I'm a musician, I cried with triumph. I play guitar, as you can see, and I also play the, the, the spoons. With an enormous, fake smile of enthusiasm, I drew them out and placed them back to back and began clapping them away onto my knee. My situation depended entirely on how much musical background these security guards possessed. Surely anyone who had even sung in a choir would recognize the shittiness of my performance. That's really interesting. Thanks. Move on. What? Next, please. Stunned. I was immobile for a moment. The guard's eye contact had shifted completely away from me. Then I gave my head a shake. I had put my jacket back on, shoved my feet in my boots, pocketed the spoons, and picked up my pack and guitars before the person behind me had even removed her jacket. I slammed through the door and ran pell-mell down the gangplank labeled departures and along the dock to the impatiently waiting seaplane just as they were about to close the door. Wait! I'm here! I had to yell over the noise of the propellers. Cutting it a little close, aren't you? Sorry, bad day, I said between huffs of breath. The flight attendant checked my ticket and boarding pass and ID and waved me up the stairs. As I stepped over the threshold, the flight attendant at the door took my guitars and stowed them for me. I made it down the center aisle of the plane without giving anyone a concussion with my backpack and dropped into my leather seat. The plane was taxiing through the harbor before I had even done up my seatbelt. I had intended to read on the plane. I didn't. I shut my eyes and took up meditation. The flight landed... Do you still call it landing when it's on water? I'll have to ask someone that some day. Only a few minutes late. I checked my cell phone and it was only 3.05. I weaved around slower walkers and hurried up to the airport to ask about a return flight later and was told it would be no problem to get on a five or six o'clock flight. I thanked her and ran to the road to grab a cab. The street was deserted. I started walking. I had looked up the address of the venue to give to a cabbie, so I plugged it into a map on my phone. To my surprise and delight, the place was only a few blocks away. It was 3.15. I could do this. It didn't take me long to remember that it was the May long weekend, and a long weekend in Victoria means tourists. People crowded the streets, all of them headed in the opposite direction from me, apparently. They also liked to stop and take selfies in front of buildings and pieces of art, or to stop suddenly to point at something their friend couldn't possibly see without their help. The late afternoon sun was warm, and I was wearing a jacket and carrying two guitars and a backpack. By the time I reached the venue, I was drenched in sweat and practically blind with fury and a whole bunch of other emotions. Not a soul was in sight. My skin tightening with dread, I checked the location. I was in the right place. Where the hell was everybody? The wedding was to start at 3.30, and my cell said it was 3.40. Crap. Double crap. I didn't think weddings ever started on time. Why did this one have to be different? Who has their wedding at 3.30 anyway? I thought crossly. I hurried up the steps to the main doors, slinging my telly higher on my shoulder so I could more easily pull the door open, but still knocked the other guitar case on the hard wood. I stepped into an entryway of sorts and held the door behind me so it would close quietly. Straight in front of me was the main door to the hall, and through it I could hear guitar music and a male voice singing. Apparently I had the time wrong. Claws grabbed my heart and squeezed it. 
I opened the door and tried not to clunk my stuff as I entered. A few heads turned to see who was so rude to enter so late. The bride and groom seemed to not notice. They were rather focused on each other. Their attendants glanced in my direction, but were intently listening to the figure at the front of the audience. He did not look up. Pointedly, I don't know. Calvin was nearly finished playing the song we were supposed to sing together. He sounded great. It would have been even better with the second guitar part in harmony, though. The music traveled all around the room. Calvin's passionate baritone voice spun in the air along with the guitar notes. He was flawless. The final strum of Gotta Have You reached into the rafters and hung there for a moment before being joined by the applause of an enthusiastic audience. Only then did Calvin look up and right into my eyes. I wanted to smile at him, to tell him he'd sounded fantastic, but I was concentrating on holding back tears. His expression didn't change. It was a mixture of appreciation for the applause and a dark hurt I knew I had caused. The claw squeezed and stuck its talons into me. I slid into a seat at the back as the ceremony proceeded with some uncle doing a reading. Something squeezed my chest so I couldn't breathe. I was drowning in shame and embarrassment. My ears filled with silence like being underwater. Why had I bothered coming? I should have just told Calvin I couldn't make it. No, you've got it wrong, moron. What I ought to have done was get my priorities straight. I should have told Brian I wouldn't be able to handle the lessons this week, that I had a prior commitment. I shouldn't have been so arrogant as to think I could give everybody what they wanted, to think I had to be some sort of hero and come through for them, as if I was out to get some kind of award or something. Instead, I had caused my best friend a whole lot of stress and forced him to perform on his own. Not that he wasn't capable of it, but that wasn't the point. I didn't know how this had happened but it was obviously my fault. The wedding officiant went on to the vows, followed by the rings, but I missed what was actually said. I was too busy hating myself. The reception was a cocktail party with hors d'oeuvres and music. I was a wallflower at the event, afraid to approach anyone. The servers came round with their trays, and I took a glass of white wine and a mushroom cap stuffed with something or other— I wasn't all that hungry, even though my peanut butter sandwich was hours ago. My stomach was churning with the stress of the entire day. Teresa and James made the rounds, chatting with each guest. They were only a few people away from me, so I moved to the other side of the room. I didn't see Calvin, but I wasn't sure I wanted to talk to him anyway. It occurred to me I had spent an awful lot of time in these last two weeks wanting to avoid the people I cared most about. When I saw Calvin's dad in his wheelchair next to the gift table, a dart of sadness thrust into me, so I went over to him, uncertain if the dementia would allow him to recognize me. I pulled up a chair so I could sit at his eye level. "'Hey, Mr. Sheely, it's nice to see you.' His face lit up. "'Hey, ya, Griffin!' He always said my name so quickly it was like it was only one syllable— I very nearly burst into tears, not only because he recognized me through the disease-driven haze of his mind, but that he was happy to see me, unlike some. "'I like your tie,' I said. "'Bow ties are cool,' he winked, and I laughed at the reference to Doctor Who. "'Hey, you know what?' he poked me on the arm. "'You're a terrific singer. You should have sung with Calvin.' Sinking like the Titanic, I tried to smile." 
Ah, uh, yeah, that's okay. He did great. Agitation tightening my throat, I looked for a way out. I was saved by a couple who stepped up to say hello to him. Take care, Mr. Sheely. I'll see you later. I moved away and tried to recapture that new philosophy from last week, the one I had so easily let slip through my fingers. A program from the ceremony lay on a table, left there by one of the guests. I picked it up and looked it over. My breath caught in my chest. The order of the ceremony showed that there would be a reading, the vows, our song, and then the rings. I thought about this for a moment, then folded the program and put it in my pocket. I had just laid eyes on Calvin. A few couples were dancing in the center of the room, including Calvin, who danced with a very pretty girl who I heard someone refer to as the groom's cousin from the prairies. She had long, dark hair, perfect makeup, and was an excellent dancer. She had a beautiful smile, and Calvin looked at her with admiration that alarmed me in an unfamiliar way. She looked perfect. She probably was perfect. She had probably been on time, probably early. She was likely a good guitarist and singer, and cook, and probably had a good job, and made good money, and was terribly organized, and never made thoughtless decisions or mistakes. I hated her. An insane thought had followed the ninja spiders through my bloodstream, and had chosen this moment to lodge itself in my heart. Dizzy and out of breath, I knew it was time to do the right thing. I swallowed the last of my wine, and as the song they were dancing to ended, I don't even know what song it was I was paying so little attention, which gives you an idea of how agitated I was, I approached Calvin on the dance floor the way a child heads to the principal's office. He said something to the woman and she walked away, but not before giving his arm a squeeze. He interrupted me before I even had a chance to say, Hey, why did you even bother coming? His tone was so cold I was taken aback, even though I was expecting his anger. I stuttered a bit as I replied, I said I was coming, so I came. I am so sorry I was late, but all this stuff happened, it was crowded, you wouldn't believe the trouble I had. Save it, Griffin. It could have been the anxious day I'd had, combined with the wine, but I felt sick, like actual get-me-a-bucket sick. Some deep-seated instinct stirred in its hiding place in my body's lower mantle layer and told me Calvin's cold anger was not just about the wedding. What is this about? Calvin rolled his eyes at me, an expression not at all in character. When were you planning on telling me, Griffin? Horrible, sinking feeling. I just need more time. I'm so upset. It was all such a load of bullshit, Griffin. Did you wait until the next day before joining another band, or was it that very night after I left? Hand up to hair, staring at floor, stuck in car that has driven off the end of pier, cannot get the window open to escape. That friend of a friend stuff didn't ring true. If he was a friend of Jillian's, you'd have just said he's a friend of Jillian's. If I ask Jillian about him, what will she say, Griffin? Good acting job, though, from both of you. Water rising around the car, light waning, cannot open locked door. All that crap about teaching extra lessons, all this, I'll take the harbor to harbor, trying to show me you're making such a sacrifice so everyone will admire Griffin. Look how hard she works. Look how much effort she put into being here. She's such a fucking good friend. So benevolent. Bullshit. Absolute bullshit. 
It was about you all the time. How can Griffin still do what Griffin wants to do, pretending to help Calvin with as little sacrifice to Griffin as possible? Well, no thanks. I'm done. I was about to tell you. Oh, of course you were. That's pretty easy to say. I was, the night we got together, but you started talking about your dad. How was I supposed to tell you then? You had plenty of opportunity to tell me. I'd only called you about seven times since the stupid wedding gig. But no, it was all about self-preservation with you. I got to find out from Jason. Carr, nearly fully submerged, try to breathe slowly so you don't use up the air. Jason, how did I stopped by the store yesterday to check in with you. You weren't there, but your ex-boyfriend was. He tells me he even met this new fella of yours, this Mateo, the very next night after the wedding. He met this guy in your apartment, and apparently you told him you're in this guy's band. Car completely surrounded by murky water and caught in algae and weeds. I rubbed my head since I couldn't get the windows open. I would suffocate and die here. Lots of big talk about how important our friendship is to you, his voice caught. When exactly were you going to tell me you have a new boyfriend and a new band? Oh, forget it. There's really not much you can say at this point. Well, I sure hope this new band of yours is awesome because the rest of the guys and I are going to carry on without you and we'll find our own lead guitarist so Matteo can give you his undivided attention. He walked away, leaving me stranded, feeling completely and utterly alone in the middle of the crowd. Swirling people, everything dark. People stared at first, and then ignored me altogether, dismissing the cast-off in the center of the room. I was so invisible, someone bumped right into me, and I stumbled. That startled me out of my misery. I wove through the dancers and found Calvin by the punch table. I hurried over to him. Calvin, no, you're wrong. I mean, you're right about some of it. Yes, I should have told you about the band and about Matteo, but I thought and thought and debated and argued with myself over and over and decided to wait. I mean, I don't even know what's going on with it and if I can stand to stay with it or not. I was about to tell you the night we got together, but then I couldn't bring myself to do it. And then I thought if you guys wanted Matteo in our band, it would all be immaterial. Of course I'm sorry you found out the way you did, but I guess I kind of hoped you'd give me the benefit of the doubt, especially when it was Jason you were talking to. I thought we were good enough friends for that, at least. And if you had any idea, any fucking idea what I've been through today, let alone the last two weeks, anyway, you don't, and I'm not going into it right now, but believe me, if this were all about me, I would not have spent $300 to come here at all today. I obviously fucked up, but I'm not the only one. I frantically pulled the program out of my pocket. Look here. I held it out so he could see. You told me we were on after the vows. I was here for that. An Antley woman interrupted just then to speak to Calvin. It was so good of you to volunteer to sing first so Uncle George could get here in time to do the reading and not miss the crux of the ceremony. Thank you. She nodded at me and shuffled off. I stared at my friend. I didn't care any more. If you'll excuse me, I have a plane to catch in order to please everybody telling me what to do. Tell Teresa I'm sorry I single-handedly fucked up her wedding day, and I truly hope she'll have a happy married life in spite of it. I barely looked at Calvin as I walked away, but I'm pretty sure he resembled a zombie. 
if I felt like crap before, I felt like something worse than crap now. Maybe puke mixed with crap. Diarrhea. I grabbed my gear and headed to the door. I had to pass the gift table where Calvin's dad was still sitting. I set down my acoustic and crouched next to him. Hey, Mr. Sheely. He smiled like he hadn't seen me in days. Hey, ya uh, griffin. I, um, I... I hoped he didn't notice my lip trembling. You know what? He took my hand. You should have sung with Calvin. I was so close to absolutely losing it. I looked down at the floor and fought to hold it together. I nodded, and when I spoke, my words were barely audible. Yeah, I agree with you. Listen, I gotta go, but it was great seeing you. I squeezed his hand, picked up my guitar, and left. Outside, I breathed the sea air and couldn't help but notice that the streets were filled with taxis. I thought, screw it, and walked back to the harbor. Having left the wedding earlier than planned, I had plenty of time to make my flight. I leaned against a railing and stared out at the sunshine's reflection on the water. I was so dejected I didn't notice right away that the knife was pressing against my ribcage inside my jacket. I pulled it out. Are you trying to drive me to the breaking point? Is that it? Am I supposed to end it all? Well, fuck you. I hurled it into the harbor. Fuck you. I wiped tears from my cheeks and continued on my way. Seated on the plane, I rummaged through my shoulder bag from my book. It was pretty much no surprise at all to find the knife being used as a bookmark. I looked out the window unseeing as the plane taxied through the water. I've got the goddamned message, I whispered, gripping the offending utensil. But you are not going to win. Not at all the day she was hoping for. Calvin is pretty mad. And the day is not over yet. Tune in next week when Griffin says, Why are you doing this? This coming weekend is Thanksgiving. Yay! I love Thanksgiving. Last year, our local brewery and smokehouse, Patina, did a takeout smoked turkey dinner, and it sounded great. But we didn't do that because I really wanted to still do our own turkey dinner. Then at Christmas, they did another one, and we did take advantage of that. And it was awesome. So this Thanksgiving, we are getting Patina's takeout turkey dinner. And the only thing I'm making at home is pie. I love pie. You may recall that from last year. And because we're all vaccinated, one of the many things I am thankful for, boy and daughter-in-law are coming over. The girl is still nine hours away, so she will join us virtually, and it will be lovely. We will eat, drink, and be merry. We will celebrate my dad's birthday, as always, and we will make lists, even if they're just in our minds, of all the things we are thankful for. And despite these trying times, that list is long. So to you, friends, I wish you a happy Thanksgiving, and may your gratitude list be long. Don't forget, my virtual guitar case is open on Kofi Coffee. If you have a spare toonie in your pocket, click Explore and look for Crystal Wallace as a writer. The link is in the episode description. 
so much gratitude I have for my family, Matt, David, and Heather, and Maggie. Cheers, David and Sharon. Thanks, Phil. And thanks to you for listening. Now, go be fantastic.